Today's sponsored podcast. <laughs> I mean, I wish. Right? It I would wish be... I could make money off of this. I wish we could tell you what we're drinking right now, but we can't. No, I mean, I can. I'm not going to get in trouble for it because oh. I'm not making money off of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're not making... Okay, then we're drinking... Sweet. We're drinking an alcoholic on a palm. basically a long It is Shiner Straight Shooter. Yeah. Craft brewed hard seltzer. With crap. Sorry, Maybe you need to use the other the other sweets you live in because that one's cursed now. That one I can't talk And then I brought candies for us to eat, even though you're not supposed to eat while you're recording a podcast. <laughs> they're called high shoes and they're so Oh shit! <laughs> I don't know how to clean it up. Just wipe it off. It's not gonna electrocute you. <laughs> I was like, "Oops, my bad." Oh my god! Got the microphone all wet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's okay. She's used to it. She's like, "This is my first rodeo." I get wet all the time. Welcome to Better Left Unsaid. Welcome to Better Left Unsaid. It's been a while. It's been like over a year. And you know, COVID sucks. As y'all know, it's it's been a very long hiatus. And I am glad to be back with a guest. With a guest. Everyone tell, say hello to Hunter. Hi. Hi, Hunter. Hi, Zach. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good after that lunch that we had. Oh my gosh. That oatmeal pie was like... <laughs> you mean the lunch that I had? The lunch that you had the and froze. the oatmeal pie that I... The froze and, and oatmeal pie that I uh, intended to, like, uh, attempted to inhale. Except for the icing. Yeah, I haven't eaten all the icing. You icing. basically had two oatmeal cookies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you literally did. Like, <laughs> I ate half of that cookie. There's like that. You just smash it together and you have a cake ball. The icing is so good in that cookie, though. Like, I wasn't a sweet person as a kid. Like, I used to not like candy. Used to be very like, and the older that I've gotten, like, I've gotten into sweets and like, obviously, like I brought high chews and I come packaged with like, uh, yeah, like people when I was at Whole Foods, they used to make fun of me, um, cause like you could hug me. And with my apron, you could hear, like, candy wrappers, like, squish. And... You hear this, boy? She's the full package. I come with... She comes with treats. I come with treats. Like, even for your dog. I know that you dip, like, bones and white chocolate in that them so they don't die. It's like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like, mini-sized candy bar with mini-sized candy bars. Good thing we don't have, like, a, a sound person, like, because then I could be, like... And that would probably, like, I live people would hate me. <laughs> for the wonderful ASMR. It's like... Well, what's funny is that the microphone says blue across it, but it's not blue. What's funnier is the fact that both of them are called snowballs. Oh, those are cute, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Snowballs. Um, but yeah, so, welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. Thank you for uh, having me, and thank you for letting me, like... Yeah, I think it's so cool that you have a podcast. I do too. And recently, actually, one of our teammates, Cameron, he, uh, it's funny, he was talking to me and he was just like, hey, you have a podcast, right? And I'm like, yes. And he was like, oh my gosh, I heard your podcast. Like randomly. It's amazing. Like randomly. And I was like, wait, randomly? Like you weren't searching for it? You just (laughs) happened upon it? came across it? That happens? Oh my goodness. You have good content. I'd like to think so. My views or my listens, I guess, say otherwise. Well, the, the couple of episodes I listened to, because I was like, well, if I'm going to be a guest star on the show, then I think I need to, like, you know, do research on the role. So I listened to it, and I was like, I just, like I said, I like the way you talk. You know, very, like, you know, one of those voices you want to, like, one of those talk voices you want to talk to. Just like, slow jazz voice. I did jazz for the DJ at like us. So when I went to Sam Houston State, I did radio DJing for um, the campus radio for oh, Times And I did, uh, I started with slow jazz from six to nine. 
like a.m. six a.m. to nine a.m. Like because that's before all the classes start. Everyone wants to wake up to slow jazz. Because nobody, nobody wanted that slot because it was like right before you go to your classes, and I was like, well, I would do perfect for that because I'd already be here on campus, and I could just go. My first classes were on campus at the Dan Rather um, Communication Center. Dan Rather, really? yeah, that's what it. <laughs> really, Dan Rather. Dan Rather, because he he went to school there, so like he's communications nerd. So. I would rather not. <laughs> Bitch, I did. She went there, guys. So I went to um, like I had a first class there, and I got in trouble because sometimes I would play. I wouldn't follow the playlist, and I would play whatever. I wanted to play and at the time like if I was very like if someone if I didn't like the way someone said something to me I'd play a song and be like this is for you oh my god and I got quickly <laughs> this is for you Brian for you bitch oh my god living for that <laughs> living for that living for that um, oh yeah embarrassing story indeed we always start off the show with an embarrassing story, unless we have something better to talk about, which we've had for the past, you know, five minutes or so. Um, but yeah, so as a guest on the show, this is sort of like breaking the ice. You get to start with an embarrassing story, uh, and then I will retort with my own. Okay, so since our topic that we decided to talk about uh, was kind of like drug-related, or mm-hmm. like we're going to talk about addiction and put light to it, the things you don't talk about. Um, but... Um, as we do on the I like, it's always easier and healthier and kind of like a therapy for me to like take my experiences that I've experienced, obviously, um, and like make light of them mm. and like laugh at them because it, it's just so, it's just so funny to look back and be like, oh, that was stupid. So my mother reminded me today of like, this was when I was into addiction really bad, but yeah. um, I was like sitting in my car and when you do a certain... When you do certain types of drugs, if it doesn't mesh well with your body, it will literally be like, I want out of your body. Oh, no. I want to get out of your body. And it's so, like, <clears throat> it's similar to, like, if you drink coffee, if you drink milk, you're not supposed to. Like, yeah. It's very similar to that. So, um, also, whenever I used to do drugs, I'd get so focused on things. Like, I would literally be, like, zoned in on my phone. I'd sit in my car, and I'd forget what was going on around me. So I was at this hotel, and I was waiting for this guy to get back, and I was sitting in my car, and I, uh, I shit myself. Like, I thought I had to, like, I was like, oh, no big deal. So I was like so a high. fart that became something else. Yeah, I was so high, and so just disenchanted with the world around me that I was like, I gotta fart. But then it became a shit, and I... So but you I was so fully high. skipped sharp. Yeah, didn't even like, didn't even, like, couldn't. It just was all. It's just like, oh, hello. I shit my pants, and it wasn't like a shit. It was like soup. Like, if oh. you, like it's so hard to describe. So, it, like, so I have three, four nieces now, four nieces, and literally they're all very young. Oldest uh, just turned eight, which makes me feel <laughs> old as fudge. You're like one. Oh my gosh, so old. <laughs> I feel so old. But literally, growing up, changing their diapers, literally like one bad day. See, it's just like up their back. And I could totally understand that if I was a toddler or if I was a child. But I'm a grown-ass 35-year-old fucking man. Like, With shit on your sitting, back. No, 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 no. I didn't have it on. I was sitting in, my, like in the driver's seat of my car. Mm-hmm. And uh, God love you, Hyundai. For making such bucket seats for my fucking front seat of my car that they're like, no girl, you're going to sit in your own pool of shit until you get out, like, until you get out of the car. So my, like, I was so high and so out of it that eventually, like, my mother, like, figured out where I was at and she called me and she comes over, like, she comes and picks me up from the hotel mm-hmm. and I, kid you not, like, was in my own pool of shit, like, the most embarrassing thing, like, because I, and it, most of the time, whenever I'm, like, if I was high, I would be, like, by myself, I wouldn't be around, but I was, like, I knew there were people watching me, yeah, and I knew there were people that were, like, like, I sit in his car for a really long time, and I was, like, yeah, it's because I shit in my pants, and I can't get out of my car, because if I do, like, do-do, like, <laughs> so, yeah, that's fine. I imagine there's some amount of nostalgia there for your mom, though, as far as, like, remember that time? <laughs> 
gosh. You know, I used to do this when you were a baby, too. It was just like yesterday. When, um, <laughs> I feel like it was, like, yeah. But that's, um, and I, I was embarrassed because, like, there were just so many things. Like, it was, people don't talk about, like, the things you do, like, if you're by yourself when you're coming off of drugs. Like, they mm-hmm. always talk about the great euphoric feeling that you have when you're on a drug or when you're on something. But whenever you come off of it, like, there's a, a lot longer period whenever you're coming off of a drug that makes you, like, you're not a fun person to be around. Yeah. You're not an interesting person to be around. You're very much, like, a, you're disgusting. Like, you're, like, no one wants to be with someone that's, like, sweating. There's, like, meth coming out of their pores and they're like crapping the, all over themselves. <laughs> it's like the sort of PSAs about, about drug addiction, which, honestly, I kind of hate just because yeah. it... All of that stuff, literally all of that stuff puts such a sort of negative and hateful light on addiction that isn't necessary. It doesn't make it any better. Especially when the addiction, like, uh, because crystal meth and, like, uh, is primarily, like, uh, I don't want to say marketed because that sounds really, really bad, but um, it's gained a reputation and gained a stigma of being, like, a drug that gay men do, which is... yeah. True, but, like, gay men do all kinds of other drugs, too. They don't just do... I've definitely referenced Tina to someone before. Yeah, to like, someone who is straight. It, whenever, like, people that reference it as Tina, like, that's, like, a gay a gay thing that people yeah. do. Yeah, I'm like, I've referenced that to, like, a straight person before, and they're like, what's that? Yeah, straight people, like, straight people know it as speed. Yeah. Or they'll do it, they'll call it, like, um, speed or crystal or ice. Yeah. I did it one time with a straight guy, like, straight, straight to bed. Um, <laughs> he was very much, like, he did the drug, and then he was like, but he knew the term, Tina, but he was like, yeah, we don't, straight people, he's like, oh, you gay guys call it something different, and I was like, you know you're gay, too, when you were having, okay, anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say the closest interaction I ever had with it was with a guy that I was actually seeing in college who was smoking. Um, it was a weird experience. I, I've never done crystal meth. Marijuana is about as far as I go. Yeah. You, you're, um, that's what, I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy being one of your friends is because like, you don't, you haven't even messed with that. I'm like, oh, he's one of the good ones. I think for me, there was never any want or need. And I think as far as sort of from what I've heard in some of the research, it's very, it fulfills a need in a certain time and place and not everybody has the need for it as far as like I can admit I've had a very like you know I'm very fortunate for the life I have I've never really gone through a large amount of hardships um you know I've never been kicked out of my house I've never uh, I've I've never had anything but an accepting family I've never sort of dealt with any of that so a lot of that times that stuff can sort of present the need whenever you're going through so much hardship that you can't there's literally nothing else i mean yeah that's kind of where it comes from for me i think a lot of my uh i will say that i started using because i was with someone like i used it once when i was 18 and then again when i was like 25 and yeah um, adult, I dated somebody who was a, like a they dealt they dealt it behind my like they were a dealer behind my back and I never I never really knew what was going on but like once I started using like uh, I knew I was different from most people that use like or that use the same drug because like I found myself being the only one like that was responding to the drug the way that I did like I would pick my skin or I would yeah. like go on like I'd be on my phone for days on end or I'd be antisocial like all these things that I was like I didn't see anyone else like because when I would do, whenever I'd see other people do it they'd be like having sex for hours and I'd be like I can only have sex for two or three hours and then I'm like I'm done, I'm done. Right. I don't want to do this anymore but other people were like they'd be fucking for like two or three days and I'm like how what Are my you dick doing? would fall off yeah so I was just like but being it's, it's very much like I w- it was it's the last thing I wish I would have ever like gotten addicted to or did or like made a yeah it's 
I used to be very anti-weed too and very like strict about, oh, I couldn't stand. But now that I've done that, I'm like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have done that first. I mean, how much, how much of that do you think is because there's a lack of a real like effective system for, you know, combating addiction? Oh, I think it's definitely like, I think it's, there's not enough education on what addiction is obviously because not a lot of people put enough research into what addiction is and what the brain like how the brain handles addiction and um most of the time when an, when an addict explains themselves to someone they come off like they're coming off with ex- they're coming up with excuses or whatever yeah. but that's for the a lot of the, a lot of the time it's not it has nothing to do with coming up with excuses like i'm just trying to explain the way that things go on in my head yeah and um there's not enough. There's not enough uh, explanation about that in, in mainstream culture. Like to explain to someone, like um, impulse is something that has to do with the brain. So whenever like a drug makes you impulsive, yeah, like um, it makes you do impulsive things. Like, but that doesn't always necessarily mean like. For me, I feel like there's different types of addicts. There's several different stereotypes that you could certainly like fall into. Like, yeah. you're skinny, you're not taking care of yourself, you look emaciated, you're not eating, like, yeah. those are your typical, but there's also, like, there's your shitty drug addict that doesn't really care about anybody but himself, um, and they do it on purpose, because they, they know, like, at that point, they know what's going on with the drug, they're, like, they're aware of it. You have other people that do it and don't know how it affects them, but they, but they like it. Yeah. You have other people that do it because they like it, but they don't like the come down. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's just several types of I would call them like I wouldn't call like I said wouldn't call them stereotypes but types of people that fall into like what how the drug affects you and yeah fall into sort of that dependency yeah almost. like what category they fall into is like well they do meth because of this or they do meth because of this or they do meth because of this and everybody's it for a different reason but like it tends to be like um, there's not enough education on how it can affect you like what it even if you're so, like with me, I had to educate myself. Like yeah. I started using, and then I started figuring out that the drug was affecting my body, and I was like, "Well, how do I, how do I like combat this, or how do I make it better, or how do I alleviate me doing this?" And yeah. so it was a lot of me searching on, like a lot of it was Wikipedia, like me googling like how does meth affect your body, mm-hmm. and yeah, just. It's just everybody is so different, but everybody's put into like specific categories. But yeah, there's not enough information. There's not enough people out there that are willing to um, combat the issue with with addiction and with methamphetamine, especially in our community because our community is so. I can come I, from my point of view. Like I've had more people not want to help me because they don't know about the issue than more people willing to be like, well, how can I help you? If that makes sense. Yeah, I think. I think that's the biggest thing, honestly, because, I mean, when you think about the 12 steps, when you think about sort of really rehabilitating and sort of fighting off relapse, you're talking about building a support system and, like, you know, gathering people around you who you know you can trust and you know will support you. When it comes down to it, um, there was a study done uh, in the 70s uh, by a, a psychologist. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, his name is Dr. Bruce Alexander. He did um, a study with rats and uh, basically put them in a... He would initially started by putting one rat in a cage and it had choices of two sort of waters that it could choose from and one was laced with heroin and the basically the evidence showed that the rat would always go to the one with the heroin yeah. and then it ended up dying because it overdosed so he was he sort of got that information from the study and then changed the study where instead of having one rat in a cage by itself he had he basically created this ecosystem for rats where it was you'd have basically a population of rats They'd have everything they needed, but they'd still have one water with just water and one with water and heroin. And he found that uh, after studying it, rats didn't go for the heroin. 
they'd try it every now and then, but they would never go back to it because they had each other and they like there was never any need. Yeah. There was never that loneliness, never that like It's been hard for me to find like a support system and like I've dealt going back and forth with like my exception like my acceptance of, or being accepted by the gay community because of like my drug use or my uh, like I'm also, I'm also HIV positive. So yeah. like um I've got a lot of flack or like kickback from people being like, Oh, I don't want anything to do with you because you do this or I don't want anything to do with you because you do this. Um, and I I feel like that's also because of the lack of education that like people Yeah. People don't understand that. And people don't understand that like especially from our community of all people, like right. of all people, like we, we we talk a big game about how we're very much Tolerant and tolerant accepting. acceptance. Yeah. And you come over to our side and we have cookies and like you know, whatever you yeah. want to like say. But when it comes down to it, I have felt very rarely ever like accepted by a group of people. Like that's why I played kickball and that's why I played, uh, did, did the group sports because I was like, I wanted to feel some sort of acceptance. Yeah. And even then, like there was difficult for, it was difficult for me to find like any kind of loyal connections where those people were like, oh, I'm here for you Yeah. if you need anything. Not necessarily from a financial perspective or for money or whatever, but I just need someone to be there for me to help me be a support system. It, yeah. was, it was very rarely over there. And I mean, there are so many st- stigmas built into that. Oh, you literally, you know, you see, uh, especially from the war on drugs, yeah, where it was criminalizing, criminalizing those sorts of drugs, the harder drugs, as a means to try to, with quotation fingers, try to mitigate people using those drugs. But, but there's methadone clinics and there's people that yeah. give out that medicine. Like It's like, that's the thing. Even, don't even get me started on that, like, the one drugs and the, the, the corruptism of our government. Well, it's like also the idea that a lot of times whenever hospitals, if, if you go through a major surgery, you're given painkillers. Yeah. That's like, and those painkillers are literally heroin, like literally just pure heroin. That's what they are. And what you find on the streets, it's really not that much heroin. It's unpure. I get more drugs like, whenever I'm in the hospital. Like I've got morphine and any of those other things. And as soon as I, like I've gotten the, in the and put in the hospital for like uh, I had like a severe panic attack like a seizure yeah. from having too many drugs in my system mm-hmm. and uh, they wouldn't give me they gave me morphine for the pain and then after that they were like we're not giving you any pain meds because you're an addict and so I was like okay cool understood like but that wasn't what I was asking for like even though I was in yeah. pain they were like we're gonna give you like the baby aspirin and like stuff like this and I was like okay whatever so it's also like it's not just a stigma like among our community it's also a stigma within the own like hospital systems and, yeah well it's everywhere yeah it was very like and i told one of the nurses one time i was like um you think i'm a drug addict don't you like you you're just like you think i'm one of a junkie and she was like i didn't say that and i was like i can tell by the way you treat me yeah it's like you don't necessarily need to say it yeah you don't have to tell me like that's the same um it's similar to, like, I've seen uh, a gay person, I've seen any kind of minority, I've, I've witnessed, like, a minority be treated, whether it be gay, black, uh, whatever kind of minority you want to put in there, uh, being treated um, disrespectfully or being in judge, like, being, disre- being disrespected because of their minority, like, yeah. and um, I just felt like that was, I was like, oh, I could never, and I'm not, comp- I I'm most certainly not comparing, like, being black to being a drug addict. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, um, But I'm saying, like, I understand the pain of, like, it's not even close to being the same type of pain, but I understand, like, having someone prejudge you before they even know you... Yeah. Is... I completely understand that feeling, and it's not a... It's not a fun feeling. It's, like, a very, like... But I feel like that there's change that can be done. It's just educating, like, everybody's different, but it it's still, like, there's still a way to, like, effectively like combat it the same way if that makes yeah. sense. Well it's like uh I think in a lot of the Northwest, like Portland, uh like Washington State, yeah. um, they did a lot of tests with um basically clinics that would allow people to come and, you know, use what they needed to use yeah. safely and 
Well, Whenever. you know your shit. You know your I shit. I do know my shit. I'm so proud of you. I do know like, my shit. I'm like, I'm I think impressed. I think it's sort of the only way to combat the stigma is through education. Yeah. And I feel like I have never done anything hard like that, but I know plenty of people who have. So if I want to understand them, if I want to be able to sympathize, because as much as I want to empathize, I'll never have those same experiences. Um. If I want to be able to sympathize, I need to know at least some base knowledge of what they could possibly be going through. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's sort of the responsibility of me with really anyone I interact with. Right. You know, Um, but like, as I was saying, they'd have these clinics and people would come and use safely yeah i read about those where they let the people come in and they're like well how much do you normally use and they give them like a i guess like a justifiable amount yeah it's like a controlled amount and they would like they couldn't leave they'd basically be checked into the facility while they're high and whenever they're coming down yeah but they also couldn't like give in to what they wanted to do like if they were high on the drug they like they couldn't go have sex or yeah they had to like stay and a lot of times they were also, like, basically put in sessions with therapists or psychologists yeah. just to sort of talk to them. And I think I think sometimes that is, you know, more beneficial than a lot of sort of some totally, things. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think rehabilitation is something that uh, American, like, America, in terms of how they rehabilitate people, they, they don't necessarily have it like because i went yeah. to a rehab um i'm not gonna say the name of the rehab because <laughs> i don't want to put anybody on blast <clears throat> but it was a uh, cough cough nudge nudge it's <clears throat> important um um but i went to it for like a it was state-owned it was state-funded because yeah. i couldn't afford got, very few people can afford to go to rehab well, on unless you're like budget. a yeah, unless you're like like fucking loaded like it's very hard to get into a good rehab that actually and i learned that going through cinecore like um because and you can bleep that out like um you're you're fine but uh, i went to them and i thought it was going to be a great like experience and i was looking forward to it first of all i should have known it was a bad experience because um i had to call like when i called originally they were like we don't have any beds like you had to call daily to be like, do oh you have goodness. any beds? Do you have any beds? Do you have any beds? And um, it just was similar to like when I actually got into the the experience. It was very much like jail, and it was very short. It was, I mean, I completed it, but it was very like, uh, and I learned some things. But I learned like what I didn't, what I knew rehabilitation wasn't for me. Yeah, like that that type of rehabilitation. Nobody cared. Nobody was like instantly like what. I would think rehabilitation would be for somebody. It was none of that. And there was no, like, I couldn't tell you one person that I remember from going to rehab. Like. And it's basically locking you in a room. Baby jail. Yeah. You're, the state's going to pay us to make you clean. Like, because if we don't, even though we'll make more money off of you if you're not. Yeah. Because we're just going to put you in jail. Like, it's very like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's true for really any amount of, at least state-funded mental health facilities and rehab facilities. It's all, you're here locked in a room for a weekend or a week. Um, well, I was there for two months, like almost 90 days. Hmm. Uh, they had a 60-day rehab, and then, um, but I think it's just also, like, there's, it. each individual person it has to be, like, it's so different per person. Because everybody's different. So, like, what works for me obviously wouldn't work for you, or what may work for you may not work for me, but... Yeah. It's just... uh, I wanted to feel accepted by the gay community. Like, having gay friends and being like, all of that is so difficult whenever you have, like, a drug stigma attached to you or when you have, like, an HIV stigma attached to you. It's very judgmental in the gay community that people are, like, willing to want to get to know you or whatever because they automatically think i guess like you're a bad person you made bad decisions or you've done bad things and which just blows my mind which about everybody per like every gay person like not every gay person but i'm sure like a majority of gay people have made mistakes said things they're like i shouldn't have done that um oh 100 been there i 
as far as like making mistakes and being like, oh my god, I mean, what I the sh- fuck did I just do? I'm like, I shit my fucking car. Like, how many mistakes did you make? Um, I I was going somewhere, and then I completely forgot where I was going. I uh was doing some research, and there's sort of the idea of um sort of addictive personalities, mm-hmm. like sort of that, and it being almost genetic. And uh, another group of more up-and-coming doctors and psychologists saying, mm, no, none of this is genetic. It's more about abuse. It's more about life experience. So it's like a lot of times the, the people that they were talking to uh, had dealt or were dealing with trauma. You know? I can, I can see it coming from both sides. Like drug addiction, because my mom... Um, this is no disrespect to her. I'm not giving anything away. But my mother was, was someone that struggled with drug addiction. Not mm-hmm. the same drug, but she did drugs. And uh, she wasn't like a junkie or anything. Yeah. But um, she she dabbled in drugs. And uh, I don't know my real dad well enough to know what he did do or like what kind of drugs he dabbled in. But I do know he was an alcoholic. And um, I get my bipolar disorder from, from him. And yeah. some of my mental disorders from my from both of them. Um, but I know there was addiction issues there for both of them. So I inadvertently got a hold of that. But I also think that's also in the way that I was raised. Like, I was raised by a single mother until I was 11. Um, I had, like, my grandmother and my aunt and some family members helped raise me. And then I had a sister, or I have a sister, and she is uh, six years younger than me. But, like, most of what, um... Being raised, it was never like we didn't have a stable father figure yeah. like until we were, I was eleven, and like I said, my sister was much younger than me, so it was easier for her to cope with or like connect with a, uh, my stepfather whenever they got married. But it was very difficult for me too because I was already kind of like eleven, twelve. Yeah, you you had already sort of been in things for a while. Yeah, like it was me and my mom for a while, and then or for until my sister was born. And uh, my mom was single until she was until I was eleven. So for like the first eleven years of my life, I was very much a mama's boy and was very much like, oh, this is. Uh, but I didn't have a positive male influence. I didn't have like positive parent. Like I didn't have like a a parental system that was like uh, healthy, and I didn't have any of that. And um, I guess that's where the question lies is. Do you attribute it more to genetics just because your parents I think I having both. done that or just because it's almost cyclical as far as your parents had done that? And I, It's hard to, it's weird to do this, but like uh, it's comparing it to like people saying that like being gay is genetic. Yeah. Or being gay is like something you're born with. So like um, you're born with like being an addict, but you're... Like, or you're born being gay, but your environment or what you're brought up and the environment you're brought up dictates, like, if you're a feminine gay or if you're... How like you a, present. How you present yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's going to affect how you grow up. Yeah. And uh, it's going to affect your mannerisms and how you present yourself. And I think that's similar to a drug addiction is, like, your drug addiction is going to be how... It's going to reflect or your... How you handle your drug addiction or how you... Uh, process your drug addiction I guess is also going to be in the way that you're handled like when I get when I do drugs and when I come down I get very very obsessive and depressed and I get very like well I'm going to fix this and I'm going to make this better and I get like I want to make everything right that's been done wrong to me like I want to become this vigilante that's like oh you're going to make things better for me but it never really it doesn't it doesn't do any good so like I don't know like where are we going with that (laughs) I tend to forget, like, um, I don't know, like, I just think that there's just, there's just so much misinformation and there's so many things that about drug addiction and gay kids, like, just because someone has had problems with drugs or done drugs doesn't make them a bad person. I yeah. That, like, that, like, ah, the stereotypicalness of what we see in this mainstream culture is, like, people who think that drug dealers or drug addicts are bad or they're bad people and it's just not the way, like... It's not reality. Yeah, I mean, like, especially since you know me, like, I've been pretty... I mean, I've been honest with you a few times before about my addiction and, oh, I need to talk to somebody, but, like, I would never steal from anybody. I would never, like... 
my addiction has put me to the point of like I've gotten violent with somebody, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I've never stolen from somebody, and I've never like, and I immediately like took it back like, oh, I'm sorry that I hit you. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, but yeah, it's just you know, it's it's one of those things. I think it just there's not enough resources put into it. There's more resources putting into telling you not to do it rather than right. why not to do it. Or or sort of helping people cope with having done it. Yeah. The people um, that have done it, because there's, for me, like, doing it has always been, like, I don't know, I'm trying to cope with, like, me being not accepted. Yeah. I think our government and our society hasn't done a good job with you know, taking the people who need to be taken care of. Like, I think there is more effort put into saying, don't become those people. Yeah. Than taking care of those people. When I called rehab originally, it was like the girl on the phone. She was like, oh yeah, that's, uh, Jeff, it's $13,000. And I was like, I literally am trying to get $20 worth of drugs right now. And you want me to give you 13, if I had $13,000, you think I want to, as a drug addict, you think I'm right. gonna come and give it to you to make me better? Like, right? What kind of like, like, especially when that? it's not when it's not exactly effective? Like, you're preaching to the choir, girl. Like, uh, I mean, thinking about which one did you like more? I haven't decided yet. Because there's only that one and there's this one, so I'll decide after I'm done. You can take whichever one you want. Uh, well, I don't want to leave here. Just take whichever. I will drink either. Okay. Um, what is it you think about more notable? It's like you really only hear about rehab and things like that. Yeah. From people who can afford to go. Uh, you know, celebrities and things like that. You think about, like, Robert Downey Jr. and Lindsay Lohan. And $13,000 is like um, a receipt. Right. It's just like a little change. Right. I think our system does a really good job at keeping people who are in the bottom in the bottom. Oh, yeah. I never thought being born, like, when I was born and I knew it, like, when I found out I was going to be gay, or when I, let me rephrase that, because that sounds stupid. When I was in the when womb. When I was in the womb. And they said, honey, you a faggot. Had I known that, like, I popped out dancing. I'd pop out with glitter covered in it. And be like, um... Sis had to wrote babies are covered in <laughs> shit. I'm covered in gold. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I killed her! <laughs> my, my poor roommate, the funny story, like, um, usually in the morning when I wake up, if I'm not working, I'll smoke a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a upper respiratory infection while I was like, do it like a smoking still. Yeah. But I would, beforehand, I would smoke and like, I'd be like, <gasps> <gasps> like, just like for like, like 20 minutes. Full on dying. And he knocked on my door one time and was like, Hunter, are you okay? Like, are you dying? And I was like, no, it's just me. So now, <laughs> so now when I, like one time I was choking, like literally choking on beef jerky, like beef fucking jerky. What a way to It was like, <sighs> And he was like, he text messaged me. He goes, girl, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm okay. And then I was like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay now. It's, little, it's, it's all good. Just a little, 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 little. It's all good. So, so good text messages happen. I'll be home by seven. Is that? Oh. Yeah. Oh, your your source. My source. Your source was. My sources are very like. Um, I wish you could hear, like, the feedback, and we could listen to it. <laughs> oh, I mean, we can listen to it whenever it's done. But oh, I'm going to hate myself for this. No, it's going to sound fine. It's going to sound fine. Um, it's interesting, too. It's not as mainstream, but we're going to talk about drag a bit, too. And there is a lot of addiction in the drag community. A couple of my friends have been, like, uh, drag queens I've known. Um... They're, yeah, it's very prevalent because drugs are like coke and stuff like that. So yeah. They give you that like, so I want to say this. I want it to be like, a, if drugs work for you, because some drugs work for people, like 
It's a very Katia thing to say. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know how to say it, like, without coming off like I'm, I'm saying use the drugs, but I've seen people do coke and be productive. I have seen people do meth and be extremely productive. I have seen people do... Uh, any, I've seen people do different drugs and be extremely productive, and actually, like, their mind extends to, like, a certain place that they can't get there unless they have that drug, which, and, which if you're an artist, or if you're someone that, like, expresses himself through artistry, or, like, some type of, like, self-expression or whatever, um, that can be very beneficial to you, but, so I'm saying, if, if certain drugs work for you, because I have met, like I said, I've met, I've met a guy that could do meth. And then literally paint you the most gorgeous. Like his artwork was impeccable. That's awesome. That's the, I think so. It's funny because I was listening to a TED talk and they were talking about sort of all those all these things, talking about trauma and talking about drug abuse and things like that. And they mentioned artists, especially with artists, because a lot of times for someone to be inspired and have a lot of really impactful and profound art, a lot of times they've been through a lot of trauma. Yeah. And, you know, if there is a tie with trauma and drug abuse as well, you can see how those also go... That reminds me. Also go sort of hand in hand. I want to tell you this because you speak of trauma. Hmm. And my... I'm going to tell her to listen to this because she will probably... She likes me. My therapist. I'm not going to say her name... But if she's listening, she knows who she is. Unnamed therapist. Yeah, she's amazing. Like I, uh, I definitely dedicate. I definitely uh, uh, put responsibility on the Montreux Center for helping me find her. Mm-hmm. Like anyone that's in Houston, like gay, straight, lesbian, whatever you are, and you need some type of mental health kind of help. Yeah. Uh, the Montreux Center. My sessions for my therapy. Excuse me. <laughs> she's a lady. My bad. Like, excuse me. (laughs) She's a lady. My sessions are three dollars. Wow. I pay three dollars a session to speak to a therapist for an hour. That's that's. I think the craziest thing. I think that's the craziest thing about anything medical. But she said whether that's like therapy, whether that's actual meds. Like we are the most expensive country. To get any sort of medical service in the world. In the world. And half those drugs are made here. Like, it just blows my mind that it's... uh, We could go on and on about how money feeds this entire system and how it's awful and terrible. And we should, you know, go to a barter system. But There was a movie. um, My therapist sent it to me and it was called... I'm going to... I asked her the name of it right now because uh, I think it was like a three-day thing where you could watch it online for free. Yeah. Uh, I think it was called The Power of Trauma. And it helps you, like, helps you deal with, like, how to turn, like, a trauma that ex- that you experienced or that you dealt with or uh, to do it, like, to experience it from, like, a positive point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And that's what I'm trying to learn. Like, I'm still learning to deal with, like, my drug addiction and how it pertains to gay people, but, like, also try to make it a positive instead of being Native Nancy all the time. Yeah. Because, like, even when we went to kickball together, there were some times where I'd go to kickball and be like, oh, I don't like the way that uh, nobody talked to me at the game, or we didn't go out, or literally a couple times we went, like, you and I went out afterwards, but nobody else came with us, and I was like, oh, well, oh, and then even when I went to Hippie Hollow, like, there was an Otterfest, uh, like, event, and there were a shit ton of kickball guys from there. And when really? I said hi to them, I had, they didn't, they were like, I don't know who you are. Like from our team? Yeah, no, not from our team, but like from oh, the well, league. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't like, be surprised if they didn't are. know who I was either. <laughs> I was very like, oh, like that was something I was going to tell you about was I went to Otterfest, which is this like, it's on Hippie Hollow. It's in yeah. Austin. Like it's an event and you pay $8 to get in. You basically sit on the side of a rock. And you're all naked, and then, like, everyone puts their boats out in the water. all the gay dads. Oh, my God. So, it was the most... I relapsed, like, two hours after we got back into town and I got dropped off. Mm -hmm. Because I was so uncomfortable with the judgment that I felt. Yeah. And the people being like, oh, you're like... It was... 
oh, it was the most uncomfortable experience I've ever felt within the gay community ever. Like, I can go to the bar and walk around naked and be like, whatever. But, like, this was so, like... That's so striking to me. I felt so weird afterwards. I was like, no, I don't, I don't like this. That's so striking to me because I feel like the gay community, or at least there are, there are a lot of members of it who are... Is it the power of trauma or something? It's called the wisdom of trauma, and today is the last day that you can watch it online for free. Ooh. Is it on YouTube? Yeah, just click on that. See what it does. You should uh, download it. They have... Uh, oh, it did not work. You can you can send it to me later. But... Yeah. Um, it It's sort of striking to me, especially in the gay community, how judgy people are. Um, and there are so many times, and I see it especially when I do drag, um, and granted, you know, there's sort of a, oh, you look different in and out of drag. Yeah, but I don't understand why that should be, like... But I've definitely, and maybe I'm just good with faces, um, but I, I would say 80% of the time I remember someone, even if they have no clue who I am. Like, if I've interacted with them even once right like first impressions there we go i've definitely been a bitch to people and they had no clue why Ah, no clue why so you've been a bitch to someone in drag and you but you've met them out of drag and then when you've met them in drag you've been like i know who you are but they don't know who you are well drag drag as an example i think we, we were playing dodgeball yeah yesterday and uh which was fun by the way thank you the queen with the bandana, who is pretty good. The one on the orange team? Yeah, I think so. No, pink team. Pink team. I think that I, was may have I been before you got there. I think that was before you got there. Um, she, I knew her, because she does drag. Yeah. And I, like, said hi. She was like, do I know you? And I sort of, like, mentioned my name. And it wasn't till we were, like, doing the high fives at the end where she was like, Oh my gosh, you! See? And I'm just like, you have no clue who I am. Right? You have no clue who I am. And, I mean, that's just an example for drag. It's happened out of drag all the times where I've met someone, I've had a first impression, I don't like them because they're judgy or they're hateful. Or... I was going to say, hopefully they didn't give you a first bad first impression, but then I was like, I'm sitting across the microphone. You're on the podcast. I was like, I'm sitting across the microphone, so never mind. Like, um... But, like, they'll come and talk to me and act like it's the first time we've ever met. And I'm just like, mm, I'm good. Thanks. Oh. And it's just sort of, it's like, you know, I get if you want to come and you know you've had a bad first impression and you want to sort of, you know, fix things. But if you come to me after having a bad first impression... And don't even know who I am. Yeah. Then it's gonna... like, no, that's a bad second impression. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's a bad second impression. Because you're a bearded queen, right? I am. I, I am. There be... aren't that many of us. I want to be us. a bearded queen with you. See, the reason I say that is because, like, whenever you, because when I met you, you told me about your drag stuff, and I was like, that's awesome. And I went to your, like, Instagram, looked at it, and... And then you showed me that outfit that you wore what one time when we were at the game. You were like, hey, this is what I wore like my last show. And I was like, did you make that? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, girl, you look you look snatched. You look good. But I'm I trying tr- to remember what it was. You it was it was a cute little like you had a silhouette girl. Oh, was it the No, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but you so I wanted to do drag a couple times and yeah. I told some of the I'm not gonna name her name because if I name her name, I should be mad. But I, I know asked, who you. I know who you're talking. About. I asked, yeah, because I told yeah. you. I asked her if I could do drag with her, and she told me, "You don't need to do drag because there are a hundred other girls out there that look just like you that will literally not help you because you are skinny. You are not tall, but you are tall in heels. Like you were what a drag queen. Like you, we can give you hips. Like no one's gonna help you. I hate that mentality. I honestly hate that mentality. I was As very a drag like, queen. I was very like, that's why when I met you and you were like, no girl, come on over, let's do makeup. Yeah. And I was like, okay, thank you. For me, I am not in it as a career. Like, I am very much a hobby queen. But you're so good at it. I try. You're so good at it. <laughs> it's an investment. 
Um, yeah. It is. I mean, 100% it is. Alaska Thunder Fuck 5000. Let's, like, shout out to her. She said, quite frankly, her and Willem were like, oh, yeah, that shit's expensive. Yeah, it is. It's expensive. It's expensive to get into. A lot of times it's very... It, you have to network. So it can come out very clicky. Yeah. Um, I know there are, like, three main drag families in Houston. And those... It does come off clicky sometimes. Um, are the LaRue's a family? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I, I know them. And, like... Yeah. Oh, I love Adriana. Uh, who... So, if you can name all of them... Oh, I don't think I could name all of them. Well, no, there's Adriana. Laisha. Laisha Relue. I met her in person. And she, like... She did a Cardi B, like, uh... With the chaps and everything. Like... Yeah. She looked just like her. Except, like, voluptuous. And it was so beautiful. Oh, yeah. And I saw her, and I was like, and then I met you, and then I was like, I want to do, I want to try drag, like, I want to do that. Like, just because of the way y'all's aesthetic was, and I was just like, oh my god, I was thoroughly impressed. I think there is an, a certain amount of, uh, I don't want to say stigma, because it's not really a stigma, disinterest in career queens whenever someone says they want to do drag. Like, someone who is not a queer queen career queen saying they want to do drag because it is this sort of idea of like oh you're a halloween queen where it's like you dress up you dress up for halloween drag is like a thing that can help people i agree so just so people that are career queens that are treating it as something when someone says i want to do drag you're oh girl you're just a halloween queen queen but that's something that i want to experience that could help me be a better person like yeah I don't know why that's frowned upon, but... I think... I... I, I get it, but say, I, I... get it, but I don't, like... I think there's almost a fear of oversaturation. Okay. Like, just too many queens for one community. If everyone did drag, it would just be... And didn't... Have you ever done a show at Michael's Outpost? Um, I have been in shows at Michael's Outpost. Because I want to say Lucas, my roommate there, I told him at Michael's Outpost... Yeah. And he was like, oh, I've never been there before. And I was like, oh, thank you. So they have several shows. They have yeah. uh, The Broadway with uh, Regina Thorne Dubois. Uh, Let's name a whole bunch of Houston or, drag queens. Let's uh, just Regina, name a bunch of like, Dubois. She's had a lot of different names. Um, Violets are blue. Violets uh, are blue. Uh, LaRue. Any yeah. of the LaRue sisters. Like, Kayla Lily. Uh, let's see. Uh, our Lady Shamu. Shimu. I remember Lady Shamu. The like, entire uh, Jackson family. Uh, there are a lot of Jacksons. Uh, there is one that is a Hamburger Mary's. She and she's also talking about Blackberry. Oh, I like Blackberry, uh, but no, like she's. She, I think she's also uh, trans. She's in transition. Leilani. Yeah. Leilani Jackson. Uh, she. I, I. I love her so much. She's a sweetheart. Um. I will never know who this drag queen was, and this is a random story. I'll be very quick about. But like, uh, you remember like over there off of uh, Westheimer and Commonwealth, there's like the light store, and then across from it diagonally is the McDonald's. Yes. And then yeah. across from it is that like kind of retail center with the cabaret store in it, and then now there's a food yes. donut right there. Yeah. So, there was a store at the very end of that retail center, like, probably like 10 years ago when Crossroads was a thing. Before they reopened. Or like, before when they Crossroads got, was that yeah. little, like, where Adam and Eve is, there used to be a coffee store that called Crossroads. Mm-hmm. It was, like, gay-owned and operated. And the, across the street from there was, like, a place that was, like, a gay-owned and operated, like, little gay store that you'd go and, like, all the little twinks would buy their, like, extra smalls and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, there was a I thought she was a drag queen when I first met her, and she happened to be trans, and I think it was Lana Blake. I have actually never met Lana. I think it was Lana Blake whenever it was, like, whenever she was not first starting transitioning, but, like, she had longer hair, Mm -hmm. she was very, but, like, I still remember the face, and I still, but, like, she asked me one time for a ride somewhere, like, she wanted to get something to eat or go somewhere, and she asked me for a little ride, she was like... Hey, little girl, can you give me can you give me a ride somewhere? And I was like, yeah, I'll give it, yeah. But that, and then like I always that was my first experience with like a trans drag queen. Mm-hmm. Couldn't like it was a man, but it, they they wanted to be a woman. It's the first time I ever experienced something like that. I will always remember that. There are actually, and honestly, I'd say it's over the past 
five or ten years, uh, a lot. There have been a lot of trans queens and kings yeah. uh, in Houston, and they're some of the most brilliant entertainers. Yeah. Uh, Ian Snyder Blake, he is literally basically the king of drag kings in Houston. Um, he's trans, and um, honestly, I love going to his shows. He does shows at Pearl. Oh, see, I've never been to Pearl. It's very nice. It's very nice. And as far as uh, drag shows that are very open and welcoming and accepting, I would say um, the shows at Pearl are probably the most progressive you'll find in Houston. Um, I remember I went to one not too long ago, probably a month ago or so, uh, because we were sort of rallying people to come to Pride Sports Dodgeball. Yeah. And, um, other than just being genuinely nice and, and, uh, accommodating, uh, I remember him walking around at the beginning of the show and basically saying, at this drag show, we will not touch you. We will not touch you unless you tell us that you consent to us touching you. Right. Like, we're not going to ask. We're not going to try. We're not going to take your phone. (laughs) We're not going to do any of that shit. Right. Because... We believe in consent, and I'm just literally sitting there, like, like basking in the glory of progressive, like, consent and respect, and I loved it. I loved it so much, because I feel like that's what it should be, and... The drag queens that I dealt with need to learn from, you know, yeah. a little something-something. Well, audiences do, too. Yeah, I have definitely... I have definitely performed where people are all grinding on me and it's their show because they're enjoying it. And I'm just like, what the Courtney, Courtney X says, like, I don't go to your, I don't go to, I don't stand at your corner and pop dicks out of your mouth. <laughs> right. Right. No, but like, I was performing at JR's, uh, last month and I was doing a number and it's, it gets pretty raunchy. So you're doing dirty again. Oh, always. Okay. Um, and some some hetero lady came up and started to grind on me. And I was like, okay, this is fine for, like, the first pass. Yeah. And I started to walk back. And then multiple people started doing it right in the same spot. And I, like, immediately, like, basically grabbed her and pushed her to the side. You I was, like, energy about I was like, honey, I got places to go. <laughs> I got dollars to grab. Like, don't come grinding on me because, like... Like, I got shit to do. You're in my way. That's hilarious. You are in my way. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you very much thank for, you, for joining. For letting me be a part for of your show. Me. It was amazing. Um, it's been a nice blast at chit-chatting. Hopefully get to hopefully get to be a little bit part of... Uh, I, I just like podcasting. It's fun. It'll be a part talk. of the history of Better Left I'll get to be a recurring guest. Hopefully people will hear this and they'll be like, I should bring that guy on the show again. We like him. We like him. He's funny. Yeah. He's he so know, much funnier. He said him. some shit <laughs> that went, that resonated with me, man. And I liked it. Um, if y'all don't already know, we have an Instagram, uh, BL underscore unsaid. So if you want to go follow that, y'all can. We also have a Gmail, and if I'm not mistaken, it's betterleftunsaid at gmail.com. I need to double check that. I'm doing it right now. Bear with me. I'm my, my my Instagram is hshouston if anyone is interested. Uh, hshouston is my Instagram, like I said, and my Twitter is... <laughs> Hunter, like it's H H H N N N T T T R R R, like Hunter. So it's Hunter. Hunter, like well, was, it's like Hunter without the U. So yeah, like, I was definitely wrong about the email, <laughs> the Gmail. Um, it is b l unsaid at or b l unsaid dot podcast at gmail.com so if you have any theme ideas or anything like that that you want to send or you have questions comments concerns or you just hate us and you want to send us a one-star review please send it there okay blunsaid.podcast at gmail.com okay if you want to leave a five-star review we are on itunes 
If you want to just like us elsewhere, you can subscribe on Spotify and really any any listening thing that you want to listen. We're everywhere, so just, you know, do it. Do it! Do it! Or you could be like, if you liked like me, if you, if you disliked me, my name was Hunter Styles, and if you liked me, my name was Zach Brinkman. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> and if you never want to hear us again, my name is Nina Bonina Brown. Click unsubscribe. Thank you very much for joining us, and goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.